Many years ago, a difficult challenge was posed to the great writer Ernest Hemingway. Many of you are familiar with him. Uh, he was asked to write a story, a six-word story. Now, I want you to think about the difficulty. Some of us have written stories. You've all done that in school years ago, if you haven't done it recently. But he was, he, his challenge was, as a novelist, to write a six-word story. And here was the classic six-word story that he wrote, and just see if it's not gripping. He wrote, For Sale, Baby Shoes, Never Worn. I mean, is that not moving, uh, memorable, compelling? Think of it. It's pregnant with meaning, is it? It's succinct. Several years ago, an online magazine was inspired by that. Uh, they asked a similar question, and they asked this of their readers. They asked, this is all true, if you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? What six words would you choose? The magazine was flooded with responses. In fact, so many responses almost shut down their, uh, their server and, and their, their Internet site. Uh, they eventually took all of those responses, though, and turned them into a book, or most of the responses made a book out of them. And the title of the book was Not Quite What I Was Planning. Uh, six word, by the way. Uh, not Quite What I Was Planning. The whole thing is filled with six word uh, memoirs written by writers famous, and uh, most of them obscure, by the way. And here are a few of the life stories that range from funny all the way to heartbreaking, and uh, some of them inspiring. And uh, just want to share a few of them with you. Again, the question they were asking is this. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would it be? This is, this is one. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. <laughs> now, some of you, you're thinking, hmm, you'll get that later. You'll get that later. But one life, one cavity, life's cruel. Sad to say, it took me about a day and a half before that one finally clicked in my head, and I went, oh, that's what they're... Anyway, that's... Sorry. Uh, next one. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Somebody's life described in that sentence. Somebody else wrote uh, these six words. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. Nine-year-old boy wrote that. Isn't that kind of amazing? Somebody else wrote, The psychic said I'd be richer. <laughs> He's told a lot of us that over the years, right? Somebody else wrote, Not a good Christian, but trying. Description of their life. One last I'll share. I'm sharing, by the way, six of them with you. The sixth one is, thought I would have more impact. It's interesting how many of us, I think, do come to the end of our lives and we kind of think, man, I thought I was going to make more of a dent, more of a difference. It's an interesting book. It's worth, uh, worth reflecting on, nothing else, as, as a, a resource, help you reflect on what's important to you and so forth. But here's the challenge of writing something meaningful that is that short, okay? Here, here's what I want you to hear real carefully. If you're going to write something that only has six words, you are forced as a writer to focus on only what matters most. You know what I'm saying? 
You got, you, you got, everything else has to be stripped away, and you focus on what matters most. We've been a series, think about this with me, on the Ten Commandments during the past several weeks, right? On Mount Sinai, God distilled the 613 commandments that He was going to include in the Old Testament to just ten commandments. Do you hear how many, how many commandments did He include in the Old Testament? Say it, say it with me. Six, ten. No, that's, the, that's what He distilled it to. There are 613 commandments. Okay? 613. He shrunk all of that down to ten. Because we as human beings are remedial learners. We have been since the beginning, and we still are. Just look at the political scene. We are remedial learners, right? This is, this is where we are. And it's significant to me that on Mount Sinai, when he distilled it down to ten, there's one for each finger. I mean, it's like he's a preschool teacher. You know, we can include, you know, you could, you could do this, Right? For old time's sake, I want us to read the Ten Commandments together again this morning. It's making an encore presentation here. Appearance is what it's doing. Uh, and some of you, you just, some of I'm doing it just to irk you. But uh, not really. It does relate, you'll see. But the, uh, the Ten Commandments, let's read these out loud again. With, in fact, let's stand up. Why would I have you stand up? We stand up as a sign of respect. We stand up at the National Anthem, Right? Most of us do. We stand for the national anthem, right? Because out of respect. Doesn't mean we love everything about it. We respect. And in this case, uh, we respect the Word of God. So let's, let's read this out loud together. And read it like we've been in a series on this for ten weeks, okay? Here we go. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. All right. Thank you, Lord, for the Ten Commandments. You can be seated if you would. Those are the Ten Commandments that were given by God to Moses, the nation of Israel, all of mankind. Now, think about this. To take 613 commandments and shrink them down to ten meaningful, memorable commandments, what did it force God to do? It forced Him to focus only on what matters to Him most. I want you to think about the significance of this. He's saying, of all 613, I, I am going to focus my attention on the 10 that matter most to me because I really, really, really want people to get these 10. If they get these 10, they get the essence of what I'm looking for. They're incredibly important to him. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to the amazing fact that because of our distractedness and God's incredibly his incredible mercy, God shrunk the Ten Commandments down to two commandments. Not six, two. Two memorable, meaningful commandments 
that in his heart of hearts, he hopes all of his children, if they forget everything else, keep these two straight in your head. And every one of us needs to orient our lives around honoring and living out these two great commandments that I'm going to highlight this morning from Scripture. If you have your Bible, open it with me this morning to Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 22. It's the first book of the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar with it. Matthew 22. There's a Bible on the shelf in front of you if you don't have one of your own. If you don't have one of your own, period, take the one on the shelf with you. You can, you can have that. But this in Matthew 22, Jesus, God in the flesh, teaches draws attention to these two great commandments. And I want you to follow along with me in Scripture. Matthew 22, we're going to start at verse 33 in the passage. You there? Okay. Let's follow, read it together. Just follow along as I read. When the crowds heard him, when they heard Jesus, they were astounded at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply... They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. So this is one of those moments of of entrapment. They're They're trying to quiz Jesus, trying to get him to misspeak, to say something that would give them justification for discrediting him. Here was the question that this expert in religious law is using. And just think about one of the one of one of those commandments, you know, is is don't lie, don't testify falsely. It's, it's that it, embedded in that's that whole idea of deceive. And I just think it's interesting that here they're trying to deceive in a way, trying to trap, catch Jesus. The question is, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, here, just think about this. They're trying to say. Let's distill all 613 commandments down to one. Which is the most important one? And notice Jesus' response. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second, Jesus says, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then notice what he says here. This is huge. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I want you to read verse 40 out loud with me, okay? The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Every one of us needs to orient our lives around honoring and living out the two great commandments that Jesus speaks of here. Because these are the two greatest. If you hit the ball on these two commandments, you know, you're, you're heading in the right direction. If, if you're whiffing on these two, you are completely off the mark. You can say you're a believer. You can say all kinds of spiritual-sounding things. But if they don't revolve around, if they're not based on these two commandments, ultimately, you're deceiving yourself or endeavoring to deceive others. You see, that's because Jesus focused it all. He stripped away everything else to say these are the two that matter most. Matter most. Every one of us can live according to these two commandments. And in honor of Jesus shrinking 10 to 2, I'm going to try to shrink 30 
to 22-ish minutes in the next couple of minutes. 22, let's put it this way, 22 more minutes. No, we'll see. Some of you want to measure. My hope is, my hope is for the next 22 minutes or less that this will be meaningful, memorable. It will help you keep in mind what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus summed up the, think about this, when Jesus summed up that the entire law and all the demands of the prophets, all the demands of the prophets, the first and greatest commandment is the first and the greatest. He, he was saying, really, when you boil it all down, you and I must learn to love God. Just learn to love God. Verse 37, Jesus said, explains it, fleshes it out. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It's a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The all-important question for us as his followers is, how am I supposed to live that out? How? I mean, how do we convey with our words and our actions that we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind? How do I do that? I mean, do I put a, a fish bumper sticker on my car? Is that how I convey my love to God? Is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? Do I stand on a street corner and preach? Is that how I convey that I love God? Should I rant on social media about every imperfection that I see in Christians and churches and somehow that's communicating my love for God? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to give everything I have away to the poor? Is that how I communicate my love for God? One word answer? No. That's not how we communicate our love for God. If we will but remember that Jesus was summarizing, think with me, Jesus was summarizing the entire law and all the demands of the prophets when he spoke these words of loving God, it will help us to be easier to understand what Jesus wants from us. To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, as some translations say, you and I need to have no other gods but Him. Commandment number one, right? He's summarizing the ten. And the 613, he's have no other gods but Him, the true God. If I'm going to convey to God that I love Him with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, what I, the way I do that is I ruthlessly eliminate all idols from my life. Right? I mean, everything that vies for His place of preeminence, everything that would, would usurp His love, His place of authority, His place of prominence in my life, I, I remove that kind of stuff from my life. Got anything in your life that you've prioritized ahead of God? Anything that you think you need more than Him? I mean, we, we look for those things. We, we push them to the side so that we create room for God to have His place of prominence in our lives. It's part of what it means to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind. To love God like that, we need to honor and respect God's name. You see where I'm going with this? Which commandment is that? Number three, right? It's the third commandment. We need to use God's name carefully and respectfully instead of profanely, manipulatively. Remember the fourth commandment? How do I, how do I convey to God that I love Him? I honor the Sabbath. I remember it. 
I set aside a day a week to worship and remember who's God and who's not. And anything that tempts me to neglect that, I evaluate as a potential idol in my life that I just haven't recognized yet. See that? That way it works. See, the first and greatest commandment is not about a lot of the things that we think of. We, we define what it means to love God on our human, what's comfortable for me. But what Scripture conveys this is Jesus saying, saying no, the, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God. And to understand what it means to love God, you've got to go back to what, what is the law? What are, the, what are those commandments? Every one of us who truly loves God will orient our lives around honoring and living out the first commandment. Loving God alone more than anything else in our lives. We'll love him in the manner that he revealed all of that to Moses and mankind on Mount Sinai. But Jesus didn't stop there. That wasn't the the end of what he said when Jesus summed up the entire law and all the demands of the prophets The second equally important commandment that he mentioned was that you and I must learn to love people. You've got to learn to love people. Look at verse 39 there in Matthew 22. Jesus says a second, a second commandment is what he's saying here. Second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting here directly from Leviticus 19. Verse 18. Again, many many of us don't even realize that he's actually quoting the Old Testament. That's just because we don't know the Old Testament as well as he did. And again, the all-important question is, how am I supposed to live that out? How do we convey with our, our words, our actions, that I don't just say that I love people, but I, in fact, do love people by the way I treat them? How, how do I do this? How do, how do we love people as we love ourselves? As, am I... Doing what God expects when I let a pushy driver merge in front of me in construction traffic. Is that what is that, what that is? Is that loving people? Is it, is it being nice and polite when somebody puts food in front of me that I'm not terribly fond of and I pretend, I feign affection for the food when the fact is I'm going to the bathroom soon and going to be sick? Is that, is that, you know, do you see what I'm saying? Do we get to define what it means to love people based on what's, convenient for me, or what I would like it to be, or what's societally uh, approved of? Is that, is that how we do this? No, remember what Jesus was saying here. He's summarizing the entire law and all the demands of the prophets, and if we keep that forefront in our minds, when he says love people, here is what he's thinking. Loving our neighbor as ourselves begins with our family. It begins with the family. Honoring our father and mother just as we would want our children to honor us. Which commandment is that? Say it. It's number five. It's the fifth commandment. Any of us have a father, any of us have a mother that we need to prize and respect. That we need to obey, that we need to care for in some way, that we need to forgive because of things that have been done or said or ways we've been treated and... And in doing so, we're honoring God and honoring our our father, our mother. It's part of what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. 
Apostle Paul tells us more about this in Romans 13, verses 9 and 10. You can follow along on the screen. You might want to write this passage down. It's a great passage. Apostle Paul writes, For the commandments say, so we know right where he's coming from, right? The commandments say, You must not commit murder or adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Notice what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. See, when Jesus summed up the entire law and all the demands of the prophet, he was instructing us to love people. And he wanted us to understand that one of the ways that we love people is we don't commit adultery against our spouse. We don't do that. And to do that is to say, I don't love you, regardless of what words are coming out of our mouths. And we don't murder people, and we don't steal, and we don't lie to people, and we don't deceive them. And do you see what Jesus is saying? This is what it means to love your neighbors yourself, to love people, to obey the second greatest commandment. And every one of us who truly loves God is going to orient our lives around honoring and living out the two greatest commandments in the manner that God clearly revealed to Moses and all of mankind on Mount Sinai. You can see part of why our culture has such a difficult time with this. And I don't mean our culture just like blasting them, because it's us too. I mean, we're part of it. We have trouble living out these two greatest commandments because, you know, we're foggy on what the ten are from day to day, which keeps us sometimes foggy on what the two are, and we can kind of remember those, but it's easier to redefine them to whatever we want it to be. But Jesus, I believe, through Scripture, is trying to say to all of us, how are we doing at living out the two greatest commandments in the manner that he would have us to live them out? How am I doing on that? We need to ask ourselves, since the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, is there anything that I'm doing in my life that's hurting God? Anything I'm doing that's hurting people? Because if so, the Holy Spirit's probably pinging you in your spirit to say that's something that needs to change. Because as Paul wrote in Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to others. You've got to change. Jesus says this interesting thing. I'm fascinated by it. I just kept thinking about it as I was working on this. He says in John 14.21 to his disciples, and he was not just speaking to them, he's speaking to all of his children, all of his disciples, all then and now. He says, those who accept my commandments and obey them, are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. I mean, it's, when you look at what he's saying there, is, the implication of it is that there are perhaps those in the world in his day and ours who will say that we love the commandments of God. We love God but they have no interest in obeying his commands. 
And he's saying, that's not the kind of love I'm looking for. The kind of love I'm looking for that's a reflection of the first greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. It's when you and I humble ourselves and we accept his commandments and we choose to live according to them. I want to close with this thought. See, I'm going to be pretty close to 22 minutes. I was trying, believe it or not. I want to close with this thought. It's not a coincidence that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai 3,500 years ago, the Ten Commandments, think about this, were written on how many tablets of stone? Two. Some of us just look at that stuff and think, oh, that's just coincidence. It's just dumb luck. It's never that way with God. It was not a coincidence. There were two tablets for a reason. One tablet told us how to love God. One tablet told us how to love people. And the hope of God was that we would get it. We would orient our lives around that. Just to extend the illustration a little farther, because I have 35 more seconds, I think. It's probably not a coincidence that we have ten fingers and two hands in which to remember those ten commandments and what the expectation, what matters most to God. I could even break it down. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You know, Have no other God but Him. Ruthlessly eliminate idols. Remember the third commandment? Remember it? Don't profane the name of God. Is it any wonder that regardless of which finger, which hand you start, your middle finger is the finger that we use to profane people every time we get in a car and drive? Isn't that an odd coincidence? I could go on with this. but I mean, it, It's as if somebody in heaven thought about this ahead of time. His hope is that we'll think of it in our time. Let's stand together and close in prayer. I'm glad you made it this morning. I'm going to pray that we'll orient our lives around this. I'm going to close in prayer. If you need to invite Jesus into your life, because let me just acknowledge what you know, we've been saying all along, and that is none of us is going to succeed at this independently. And even when you've got the Holy Spirit present in your life, you're still going to stumble. We all do. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus in our lives. So invite him in as we pray. I mean, if, if you've never been baptized, as the Scripture teaches, we can help you with that. We can... Just come let us know, and we'll help plan for that for you. Um, Maybe you need prayer for some other thing in your life. Let us pray for you after the service is all done. We'd be happy and honored to do that. As we close, as Lori mentioned, we've got an election this week. Just want you to pray uh, that our leaders, our citizens would once again, uh, that our nation would once again be oriented around loving God and loving people as Jesus had in mind. I, I think that's important. And just take the election as the occasion to pray for that. Because it's a desperate need in our land. So let's pray and uh, let's head out after that. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. And as we gather here in this place, we reflect on your word together. We worship you. We just we invite you to fill us, to strengthen us, to cleanse us, to redeem us, make us yours. 
Um, we desperately need more of you in our lives, in our families, in our land. We plead for you to be king and lord of all. We know that in one sense you are, but the fullness of that is yet to be realized, and, and we long for that day when you will uh, be unrivaled. There will be no longer any challengers to your authority, not among us, not among the rest of mankind. We thank you, Lord, that you are good, and that you're kind, that you've communicated your wishes to us. We thank you for your word, instruction, the, the clarity, the simplicity of loving you and loving people which looks like the way the Ten Commandments are described. And if we understand all of that, it, the rest of it begins to make sense. And Help us, O oh God, to not just think about those things in this moment on a Sunday morning, but help us to think of it tomorrow and next week and next year. Help us to reflect on this, to accept your commands and obey them. And as you said, Lord Jesus, would you love us? Would you draw near to us? Would you, would you reveal yourself to us? We need you, more and more of you. And fathers, we think of our nation. We just think of the election this week. We pray for your protection. We pray for your, your guidance and provision for our nation. Lord Jesus, since you're not on the ballot, our request is that you would still somehow bring about your will here on earth, just as it's done in the heavens, in spite of those on the ballots. Wherein they want to work with you, bless them. Wherein they don't want to work around them, Father. That your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be partners with you in that. Help us to be people who love you and love each other more than anything. Would you go with us now as we leave this place? We're grateful for your grace. Together we lift this prayer to you in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. Amen. Bless you all.